0: Welcome to the NRSNG show by NRSNG.com. My name is John Haas, RNCCRN, student nurse mentor, and your biggest fan. In each episode, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you uncover success as a nurse and in life. We're all in this together. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let the show begin, my fellow nurses. All nurses nurses Hey guys, what's going on? It's John here with NRSNG.com. Before we get started, I want to make sure you guys are aware that you can go over to nrsng.com slash freebies and there you can get access to what we call our Friday freebies. And what that is, is it's exactly what it says. Every Friday, we send you out a different cheat sheet, reference sheet, guide, quiz, whatever it is to help you along your journey to becoming a confident nurse. Okay, We're giving you the tools, the confidence that you need to excel and to succeed on the clinical floor. So go over to nrsng.com slash freebies and you can get that. I want to thank you guys for tuning in here. One last little housekeeping announcement thing. We did launch a new podcast. It is called the Lab Values Podcast. So if you type in Lab Values here in, in Google Play and iTunes or wherever you're listening, you will find our Lab Values Podcast where we, we cover and we really dive in to one different Lab Value per episode. The scenario that a lot of people reach out to us and are struggling with. So we wanted to make this podcast for you. Aside from that, the other thing I wanted to mention really quick, and this is a huge shout-out to you guys, a huge thanks to you guys, is that we are going to hit 1 million downloads for the podcast this month. And that is just, that blows my mind. We're just about 18 months into this, about a year and a half into this, and we're going to hit 1 million downloads, and it's going to be from all over the world. Uh, About 160 different countries have listened to the podcast. Uh, Just We've reached every corner of the world with this show, and I'm so excited, so glad that I've been able to provide some of my stories, my tips, as well as introduce you guys to some of these people that have inspired me and motivated me as a nurse through the through the interviews and sharing some of the books and some of my stories. And I'm glad that it's that it's helped you guys, okay? So a lot more coming and a lot more planned, but really pumped and we're we're looking at what we're going to do for our 1 millionth episode. Uh or sorry, for our 1 million downloads, 1 millionth episode. Holy crap. Um so if you guys have any suggestions, just be sure to reach out to us uh, and we'd love to hear from you and love to hear your tips and suggestions for what we should do for our 1 millionth download. The podcast today is going to be a little bit shorter and it's just going to be me giving some, some stories and some tips because we got a question last night on Facebook and it was one that we don't get very often and was one that I didn't have any resources available for. And the question came from a nursing student who, who asked, any tips on coping with your first time doing post-mortem care? Mine was in the NICU. Now I had to stop and think about my experience with postmortem care. I remember the first time I did it was actually as a nursing student. I was on a, a respiratory floor, and it was the the step down unit for the ICU. And so there were a lot of patients that, uh, you know, actually had conditions that were 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 very difficult to deal with. And I remember I showed up one morning for my rotation as a as a nursing student, and the offgoing shift, the night shift, was. Was preparing a body to take down to the morgue, and this was my first time to do postmortem care. So we had to identify the body, we had to um, prepare the body, we had to place the body in the in the body bag, and we had to take the body down to the morgue and do all of, all of what's involved with that. And at the time, it 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 was it was very strange to me because I wanted to take good care of this body, I wanted to show respect. Um, and then you know after nursing school, I got a job in a neuro ICU. And in neuro ICU, you see you see death very often. It's something that if if there's not a death uh, during your shift, it's going to be your next shift. Okay, uh, not necessarily with your patient, but it just happens a lot. It was in a very big it's a very big ICU, 34 beds, all neuro patients. And with neuro patients, a lot of the conditions you see you might see aneurysm ruptures, you might see sudden strokes, and you might see patients that come in who weren't aware but had a very aggressive cancer growing in their brain and so they'll come in and they were normal with their family the day before they come into the to the neuro ICU and within 24 hours they pass away so very abrupt very devastating very traumatic just terrible deaths uh, that we would see and it took a lot of adjusting it took a lot of getting used to and I don't know that it, that getting used to it is the right word for it, but it took a lot of adjusting to be able to cope with this okay so I'm gonna tell you some of my suggestions Okay, first of all, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel um, uncomfortable, and it's okay for it to affect you. Okay, we're nurses, we're not uh, superhuman. You know, we have emotions, we have feelings. And when you see death and when you touch a dead body, that might be the very first time you've ever done that. It might be the first time you've ever seen a dead body. It might be the first time you touched a dead body. And then to prepare a, a body, to take down to the morgue is a very humbling experience, okay? And we'll get into that in just a minute. But what I want to share with you guys are some of the the things that I have found can really help make the experience better. Uh, And the first thing I want to say is that the best advice I can give you is to be there for the family. If there's a family there, if there's family members, friends there, your job as the nurse turns, and it's a very strange adjustment because what will happen is you're there taking care of the patient and the patient passes away. And now you really have to revert and change all of your focus to the family, okay? And so you you become the nurse for the family. And and while you're taking care of a patient, you are there for the family and everything, but you become a nurse for the family. And you be there and you comfort them and you instruct them and you teach them about what's going to happen uh, with their loved one. So the best thing that you can do is really be there, be that shoulder for the family, be that uh, strength for the family, and And listen to them, and let them share their stories and their experiences, and try to be as compassionate and loving as under and as understanding as you can be. There was one patient that really stuck out to me. it was a it was a patient who who came in and the the family had decided to withdraw care, and the patient had a pacemaker, okay? And so with a pacemaker, you have to place a very strong battery over the pacemaker in order to deactivate it so that the patient will actually experience cardiac death so when this when this family all got, there it was a it was a very large family. They were filling up the rooms, filling up the hospital corridor or the the floor corridor. And it was a very strange dynamic between the mom of the patient and one of the siblings of the patient because they were trying to decide who was going to make all the decisions about uh, what was going to happen with the body after. And so they were really struggling there. And so my job really became coordinating that, right? As nurses were care coordinators. And so I had to make sure I got the chaplain there to help. Uh, explain everything and get the phone numbers they needed for for funeral homes, and I had to be there and make sure that the battery was working and that the patient was clean uh, for the family. I wanted to be there and show the family that I was with them. I was there, uh, and they they could reach out to me if they needed to. So, when the when the patient did die, when the heart did stop, we extubated. You know, we extubated the patient, took all the IV lines out, all central lines out, and everything, so the family could say uh, goodbye. And so a lot of your job, and then we were cleaning the patient, taking care of the patient, making sure the family could could touch them and feel comfortable. Um, and and after, you know, the family stayed there for a couple hours. And as the family was leaving, the mom reached over to me and gave me a big hug and said, I will never forget you. I love you. And it was just the simple acts of, of being there with the patient's family, holding their hand and showing them that I don't... You, I don't see their loved one as just a body as just a number as just something that I have to take care of for my day to get my day to get through. I see them as their loved one, okay? And and, and it can be hard to really see that and and to show the family that you see their loved one uh, as someone that you care about. The best way you can do that is to really just show care for the body, take care of the body, keep the body clean. Um Keep the curtains closed, keep the lights on, ask other people that are not part of this family member to keep it down that we had a, you know, there's a death and, and those types of things that you can do to really show them that you're, you're paying your respect to the family member. Um, the next thing I, I would really recommend is that you need to find somebody to talk to about this. One thing that I think that needs to really exist in, uh, hospitals are debriefings after death, um, because what happens is I think we, we bury the feelings because there's no real way to express how we feel. And it can be hard too, because as nurses we do want to be strong. And so it can be hard to say, you know, this one really affected me. But I think what could be helpful is if you have a spouse, a loved one, a partner, a friend, a parent, whatever it is, if you have somebody that you can reach out to in, in these shifts and these experiences that are really hard somebody that you can reach out to and talk to. For me, I always had my wife. She works uh, ICU as well, and so I was able to share with her some of the really hard experiences. And when there were shifts that I just didn't know if I was going to make it through, I had her that I could talk to. I know everybody doesn't have that person. If you don't have that person, have a journal. Um, Even just talk it out and record it or, or anything that you can do to get the feelings off your chest. Because what I see happens with some nurses is they develop bad habits uh, trying to deal with all the difficulty of of the job, and some some bad habits might be eating poorly or sleeping poorly or alcohol, but find healthy habits. And the biggest thing that you can do is find someone that you can talk to. And so it, I remember there was one patient that I had that just really affected me. He had children my age. He was about almost exactly my age by just a couple weeks. Uh, he had a little daughter that was one year old, and my daughter was one year old at the time. Came in and he passed away of, of a very unknown condition and just died very quickly. And that, that one really, really touched me and really, really affected me. I took care of him and the family for uh, three days straight, you know, my, my full three-day shift there. And it, it was a patient that I, I hugged everyone in the family. I became friends with a lot of family on Facebook. And I did my best to really show them that I cared because I, I was truly, deeply affected by them. And I let them know that I said, you know, some patients just stick with you forever. And and this was a patient that really did stick with me forever. Um, And I. As the shift ended uh, after he passed away, um, I went instead of going home that morning, I went to my parents house and I sat down with my parents and I just told them that I loved them and I told them, you know, how precious life really is. And that's what I really want you to take away from this podcast and from every experience you have with this is that as nurses, I I'm, I don't think that dealing with death is necessarily a positive thing. Uh, it's a burden of the job, but you can take positive things out of it. We, we can live life a little bit sweeter. We can be a little bit happier in life because we get to see how precious it really is. You know, that morning, you know, as I was driving home, it didn't matter to me, um, if I was being tailgated or tailgating somebody, it didn't matter to me, um, you know, the little things in life, you know, my student loans and things like that. I wasn't worrying about those things. What I was thinking about was my child, my kids, uh, my wife and my parents. And that's exactly where I went immediately was just to tell my family that I loved them. Um, and so we really get those experiences in nursing, those opportunities to see how fragile, how precious, how, how real life really is and how quickly it can all be taken from us. So those are the two things I'm going to tell you, first of all, is just find someone you can talk to, get healthy habits. Um, And then lastly, I just want to talk about the process uh, generally of of postmortem care. So what will usually happen, and I'm not going to talk about all the different ways that, uh, you know, will lead up to to postmortem care, but I'm going to talk to you about some of the things that have to happen um, when a patient does pass away. First of all, you have to fill out a lot of paperwork okay so there's a lot of paperwork to fill out and you have to get the physician there to declare death if you're in a state where nurses can't declare death but once death is declared you have to uh, and this is for Texas I don't know necessarily for every state but you have to coordinate a lot of care okay so one of the people you need to get on board is the chaplain and what the chaplain's job is is to really kind of work with the family as you're trying to take care of all the other pieces of the job they work with the family on funeral homes, on finding the funeral home, working with them on figuring out who's going to pick up the body after we take it to the morgue. And they let them know when that's going to happen. And and so they really do a huge job in this. They really play a very big role in postmortem care. So you need to get the chaplain there, let them know that the patient has passed away. Or usually I let them know at the beginning of a shift, like if I have a patient who I think might pass away, I get them there. Um, you need to be coordinating with the physicians so that they can write uh, the death certificate and they need to write the death certificate and make sure that they write some sort of note in the chart that they were there, they pronounced the patient dead, and that's the you know new di- diagnosis. The other thing you need to do is you have to fill out something for the coroner. You have to let the coroner know if this patient needs to be investigated, okay? And some things that would require that are if they die within 24 hours of coming to the hospital, um, if they died in restraints and if there's any sort of pending investigations from this, if it was a homicide or or anything like that that might might require a coroner investigation. So you have to fill out all this paperwork, you have to call them, and then as the patient uh, starts to look like they might pass away, and this happens a lot in neuro-ICU, is if it looks like they're going to die from brain death, especially you are going to call uh, donation services. And what that is, is that's where, um, like tissue donation, so you would call them, let them know you have this patient that's going to die, and you let them know a lot of information about the patient, okay? Age, diagnosis, um, lab values, all these types of things, so that they can run it through their database, figure out this is a patient who would be a candidate for tissue donation. Okay, so that can take up a lot of your time. Then what you have to do is you have to really break down their chart, make sure you have um, all the kind of ducks in a row, that everything's been charted on this patient and everything's taken care of. Then a big thing that you really have to do, like I said, is... is really keep the patient clean. Okay. So once the patient does die, you usually give the family some time and I usually let them know you, you can stay, you know, as long as you want. And usually most people will just leave within a couple hours. Okay. You really don't want families to stay much beyond that because the body will start to, um, become very stiff. Blood will start to pool and things like that. And so it's good to, to really kind of have the family Gone within a couple hours. I've never really seen family stay longer than two uh, or three hours. Okay. So once the family's gone, you will remove all tubes, all IVs, and everything, unless it's the corner case. If it's a corner case, you leave all that in. If it's not, you'll remove all the IVs, you remove all the Foley's, you remove all the ET tubes, all the bandages, everything from the patient. Okay. And then you really wipe the patient down, clean the patient up, uh, and just kind of make them look clean. And then you will go to the morgue and you'll get uh, a gurney and a body bag and you'll bring that up and you'll place the patient in a body bag and a clean gown and you will wheel them down and and put them in the morgue and you usually leave some sort of note so that um, the chaplain and funeral services know that the body's in there. Okay. So that's kind of the the steps. And I know that might sound kind of harsh, that might sound kind of mean, but that's really what happens uh, when you do all that. And then you'll come back up to the room. make sure charts all put away, everything's all put away. And then um, you let housekeeping and everything know to come clean the room. And then you have a, a, n- a new room and stuff like that. So that's really how that works. And, and that might sound kind of harsh and, and everything, but that's really the step-by-step process of how it works. The important thing is that you find a healthy way to cope with it. And again, I'll tell you the best thing you can do is to, to divert your care to the family and to really take care of the family and then after to take care of yourself. Be strong enough to let people know that it affected you. It's okay for it to affect you. And that doesn't make you weak. That doesn't make you a bad nurse. Um, and it's, it's okay to feel those things. It's okay to not make jokes or to not say anything crude or anything about about these people. So that's really my suggestions, my tips. I know that's kind of an off-the-cuff, quick podcast, but I wanted to give you guys kind of my take on, on post-mortem care. Um, But if you guys have any struggles with this, be sure to reach out to us like we're here. If you don't have anybody else you can talk to, let us know. Okay, you can reach out to us on social media or through our email address or on the website. And we're here for you guys. We want you to succeed. We want you to be confident and comfortable nurses. Um, So anyway, anything you guys need, let us know. We're always here for you. We're we want to be your biggest champion and we want you guys to be a part of this. So thank you so much for being part of the NRSNG family. We love you guys. Appreciate everything that you do. And you guys know what time it is now. It's time to go out and be your best self today. Happy nursing.